Hi everyone, my name is Alistair Wheats. I'm the Head of Products and Partnerships here at Analytica and I'm delighted to be joined by three experts in marketing. I have with me Andy Crestadina, Ronald Van Loon, Marsha Collier, and we are going to be talking about what influencers want from brands today. Uh, but before we get into the topic, I'd like each of our guests to talk a little bit more about themselves, uh, what's their backgrounds, and what kind of work they do with brands. So I'm going to start off. Uh, we can go. We can go this way around. I know. Oh no, that way around. I'm going to use this stuff. <laughs> uh, so where, where's uh, Andy's over here? Okay. So it's going to Andy. I'm going to poke you. I'm uh, I'm calling in from Chicago, uh, where it's a, a gray, cloudy day, the twentieth in a row. Uh, I am the co-founder of Orbit Media, which is a digital agency. I, this has been 20 years now. Uh, it's a 40-person team, and uh, we do we focus on web development and optimization. Uh, I've done so 20 years of SEO and analytics, and I've done 12 or 13 years now of uh, content marketing. Our approach to which has always been very collaborative, which now I guess we could call inf uh, organic influencer marketing. So at least 10 years of just collaborating with people on content and. Um, you know, more recently, very, very engaged in what uh, has emerged as a really mature field and fascinating topic of influencers. So glad to be here. Thank you. Ronald, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm um, on one end, I have multiple roles. I'm director at the data analytics consultancy firm, also AI strategy firm. Um, I'm a course advisor for a leading certification company called, called CityLearn. I started my own coaching series for AI. And I'm also what they call an influencer. Um, I'm a blogger, blogger, webinar host, and I work, I think, with more than 50 tech companies currently that provide me all kinds of new development, exciting developments that they share with me. Um, so that helps me to generate great content and share with my audience again. I'm Marsha Collier. Um, I started out way long time ago, uh, special projects manager of the Los Angeles Daily News. And from there, I started my own marketing agency where I worked with retailers. And I learned why the little guy can compete with the big guy. And it was all about their reaching the customer, which is what brought me into my thinking of customer service and influencing the customer. Because influencing is, is everything. It's not just advertising. From there, I decided to write. I wrote the first eBay for dummies. I've been writing books ever since. Gave up the marketing business. Uh, wrote the first book about how customer service should be done online. And I think uh, it worked. I think people believe that. Right now, I've had a tech podcast for 10 years. And from that, I became a tech influencer because I really like to get down past the myths and explain to people. So what I can briefly say is my books are in the for some of my books are in the Four Dummies series. I like translating into real words a brand message. Great. Thank you. So we've got quite a nice mix of experience and expertise on the call. Yeah, so we're going to be talking today about what influencers want from brands. But important to state up front that when we are all talking about influencers, we're not just talking about people who are using a social media profile just to get paid by brands to promote some kind of product. We're talking about a whole range of people. Some of it uh, we've already heard a bit about in these introductions, uh, but these could be people who are just professionals who are using an online persona just to talk about their day job and they're influencing just without trying to, and they probably would hate to be called influencers. Some of these be, be, will be just uh, you know, people using a product online and people just 
find what they're talking about interesting. So we're talking about a whole range of people. That's why we want to talk about what these influencers might want to get from brands, because it isn't always going to just be about getting paid by a brand, although that will be a part of it. So to start off with, I want to ask our three panelists, when brands are working with influencers, when is it right to pay an influencer? And when is it maybe not appropriate? Let me start off with you, Marsha. If you have a straight influencer, that's their job. They've got to pay their bills. If you've got somebody who's a practitioner or an expert in the field, what you're also buying is their name to be tied to the brand. And I think that's very important. There's a lot of value. And I think that comes with KOLs as well. It's because you're tied into somebody who has an audience that listens to what they say. And it's very important. Cool. Thank you, Ronald. How about you? Yeah, I think if, if you look to paid engagement, um, you, you should look for some kind of balance. I think there's a part that depends of the nature of the brand and the influence of type of interaction and the nature of the content of how content that it, um, how the content is presented. So if you present knowledge of a product or a service and you present it more objectively and um, educationally, um, I think that's, that's, let's say, the way where it's important um, to, to stay independent. And, and, and in that way, I'm not sure if it's important whether you either get paid or, or don't get paid. Um, but I think it's, um, in the end, yeah, it's, let's say, valuable time from an influencer that he spends and he can spend it on um, his own normal practitioner, practitioner work or he can spend it um, with the vendor. And if they spend it with the vendor, yeah, it needs to, to be compensated, I think, as well. So in that case, it's fair to compensate and find a way that's beneficial both for the vendor as for the influencer. Hmm. Andy? Well, I love the question because it gets to this uh, gray area between paid influencer marketing and what you might call organic influencer marketing. Uh, in either case, it really is a transaction. In a lot of examples, you would just say that the the contributor or the influencer, whether the, even though if they're just like a brand advocate, you know, is getting exposure value. So if I reach out to you or to Alicia and say, "Will you contribute to this article?" You would say yes, and you're not going to ask for money because you're getting exposure value from the mention. But when exposure value is insufficient to meet the the time and energy and value provided by the influencer, then there's other ways that the brand makes that worthwhile. It could be straight cash. <laughs> Here's a check. You're worth it to me. Your audience is big and the effort is sufficient enough that you know I'm going to pay you for that because it's enough value for me. But the gray area is interesting and that's where regulators are going to have trouble. What if I just give you my product? We all get these emails. Well, you here's a free version. Here's a free tool. I'm going to give you my tool for free, hoping you will mention it. Is that paid? So it's interesting, but I think the key is to understand it. It's like so many things in life. It really is transactional. Organic influencer marketing, the transaction is exposure value for advocacy. Paid influencer marketing, it's money for advocacy. I want to just yes. add in on one thing that Andy just said, right? So Andy, you're absolutely right about free product. But for example, I have a podcast and I talk about all kinds of different products. But I warn people, before you send me your product, it better be good right. because I'm <laughs> going to be honest. And being a paid influencer... I only align with brands that I know are going to be okay, that I can bring that message to my audience. If it's something I question, you want to send me your electric toothbrush. I don't know if I'm going to like it, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and, and, and maybe additional as well. I think industry experts want to engage with brands and they want to have the latest industry developments and they want to see these breakthroughs and, and innovations. And I think it's an incentive for the influencer or the industry expert, as it's, as it's most, of, most of the time called, to be inspired by the brand, what they're doing in, in their domain. And this is, I think, especially about um, seeing all the new technologies, all the new developments and all the new results. And there is this balance that you're looking for from, okay, um, um, who is most interested? Is it the, the exciting new content that you get or is it the, the exposure that the brand gets and, and find the balance for it? And I think, um, yeah, depending on, on your role, let's say in the industry, um, how much can you benefit for it for your daily life and how much can the um, defender benefit from it? And that's where you find this balance. Well, there's a big trust factor too, right? I mean, if the audience does not trust the person, I know there are a couple of campaigns running right now that are bam, 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 like five times a day out of the same influencer. As a, a business looking at that, all of a sudden I'm going to say, hey, this is just paid yeah. garbage. It's advertising. Th right. That's all it is. Yeah. And you have to build trust and work with the influencer and work with an influ influencer who values trust with their community. And, and I think that's important about your content. It should be educational and not promotional. Um, it's important to educate the, the industry versus being promotional. I think that's also the way you approach your content and approach your work, uh, whether you're pay or, paid or not paid, I think uh, doesn't matter so much. Yeah, the influencer has influence because they've made a lot of deposits in that account with their audience. They give value, they give value, they give value. So now it's also kind of a transaction between the influencer and their audience. And they're going to lose. It's, the, it's, a, it's not a net gain, right? If the influencer is then suddenly burning their list and slamming that message out there, advocating a product that doesn't even make sense. You know, why am I paying attention to this? Well, it, so it, it's like is, whoring out for a brand. I mean, I hate to use the expression, but I've been approached by some large enterprise businesses who just want me, oh, I want you to do this and over and over again. I said, that's not benefiting anybody. I wouldn't want to see that in my Twitter stream. So you're right, Andy. Yeah. That, I just want to pick up on, I just want to pick up one, one thing that was, that was mentioned earlier about the exposure value of being, you know, potentially uh, an alternative to uh, some kind of financial reward for influencers. Um, Again, thinking very generally about that word influencer. Um, but, but what are the other things that an influencer could benefit from apart from that, um, potentially connecting with a brand or work or a brand helping them support a cause that they care about? Um, I just wondered if maybe the three of you could expand on that a bit as well, just as other things that a brand might want to think about that an influencer might care about that could be part of that transaction. Well, I'm part of a group here in Chicago that invite that invites uh, famous people to speak. We've had Obama and Bono and great names. Richard Branson, he's going to waive his speaking fee if you make a hundred thousand dollar donation to his nonprofit. You know, so that's noble. I'm, I respect that, right? We're not going to be able to do it, but uh, <laughs> and then at the other end, right? It's like the influencer or the advocate contributes. And then the brand and the influencer both promote on social media. They both get a little bit of amplification. So it ranges from six-figure donations to non, you know, that's not a paid, it's a proxy for paid speaking, to yeah. down at like the tweet level. <laughs> so the spectrum is vast. It's fascinating. It's a really interesting world. Uh, it, but it does come down to some exchange of value. And uh, it's fine to be transparent about that. Well, you mm -hmm. mustn't forget the old loop. Uh, they want to run, they're an expert 
and they want to write a book, they write a book, self-publish. If they're you're going to hire them, you have to buy 500 copies of their books. Yep, that's common. And that's, that's very common. Sure. And that's a way to make the best seller, which it really isn't, but that's a transactional thing where the influencer benefits and the brand benefits hopefully too. Or links for SEO or leads for sales. You know, or I'm going to share, be part of our webinar. I'm going to give you the list of all the, the email addresses of all the attendees. There's, uh, it's very creative. And although, you know, it's not, it's a, it's a different channel. It's fun if you're a creative marketer because there, it, there's uh, all kinds of different possible exchanges. I have a friend who asked me to, ho to be a, a host on his podcast. The invitation included this microphone. That's a great him. microphone, by the way. I love him. He's a friend. I would have done it anyway. <laughs> it's not from NASA. <laughs> no, it's a it's a road uh, podcaster. It's like a three hundred dollar mic. I would have done it anyway because I love this man. But uh, I obviously couldn't say no. It's a, this came in the mail, like so. It's it's interesting. It's creative. It's fun. It's a negotiation, but uh, uh, there's nothing underhanded about it until you get to the side of like pure paid and regulation and, and disclosure. But as long as the influencer, I'm sorry, Ronald, as long as the influencer stays honest. Right. Yep. And transparent and open. Absolutely. Ronald. Yeah. Maybe another example is being invited by the executives um, at some executive meeting where they share the strategy, all the new developments where we have a very small group of, of influencers, which on one end is exciting to be with the top executives in the technology industry. And they invite you and they, let's say, pre-describe um, what they're going to do, which they're going to release in, in the coming three to six months and ask you for your opinion. I think that's exciting um, for, for us as an influencer to be in, in such a position. And on the other hand, I think it's interesting for um, the, the um, executives to get an opinion from different perspectives, not from the large analyst firms, but more from the smaller niche players that, that are with their feet on the ground and experience what what's the day-to-day -day work with their software and with their capabilities. Well, and expanding one thing on what Ronald just said, I mean, I've been to a farm in Switzerland and I've seen 5G work to save money, to save hormones, to save pesticides, to build a better farm, but I've seen it work. I know 5G in and out because I've been there. I've been to smart cities. And the thing is, there's so many myths about this. So I can come back from that trip which was paid for, but I have all this knowledge. It benefits mm. me immensely. And pretty much I can bounce off anything about 5G. Mm. And, and see, seeing indeed is believing if you're at events or you're at special small events where they show what is coming next and not only talk about it. I think this is exciting. Um, you can create great content, um, great videos. Um, but indeed, you see it and you can believe it by seeing it instead of just reading about it, Tony. Yeah, you can give an influencer value by giving them inside access for which they feel like they've been compensated, for which they feel like they got value from. So an example, I'm, I'm, I barely ever drive, but if I was a car influencer and Tesla said, we've got a new truck, come try this truck. You're going to be one of the first to drive this strange looking, beautiful, you know, electric truck. Cool. That, that has value to me. So VIP access, the red carpet, exclusive experience is something that the influencer will feel like they got value from. So, And it's something that a lot of places, like a, even a farm, can do. They just 
don't realize that they have something of value. Um, they just have to turn themselves inside out, and then uh, the influencer gets education. They're they're likely a better advocate, uh, but also they you know they um that transaction had um, made sense for them. But you know, it's funny. One quick thing about the car, uh, the car thing. After two days of driving the car, you kind of lose your thrill, and you got it for a week, and you're going, mm, they're going to pick this thing up anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's a common thing. It's like they, they give cars, they, they loan cars to people, hoping they'll talk about them. So, Marshall, so throw rocks at them. Uh, did they ex they, but they, when they give you a car for a week, they don't expect you. They're just, it's a hopeful thing, right? That you'll mention it. Yeah, it was a hopeful thing. The last one I did was a Corvette. Now, I have a Corvette, a vintage Corvette. So I had the two of them together and I'd run one, I'd run the other. I wrote an article about it, which has been on the internet for a while. It's got a bazillion hits because it's it's kind of one of those evergreen articles, mm -hmm. Corvette versus Corvette. <laughs> so if you can develop it into something that interests the influencer, but again, you know, I don't know how much I'd write about the new Hummer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it made sense for you because you have you have a Corvette, so you're comparing right. two models. It's a story. Right. Yeah, just one point on this one before I've got some other questions I want to fire past you, but uh, we've, we've done a bit of research in this space as well. One, one thing that uh, we found in the research um, is feedback from influencers about stuff that they valued um, that hasn't been mentioned yet is actually sometimes even just organizing an event mm -hmm. where influencers come together um, often was actually really valued by the influencers because often they know each other online. They've, they've been talking to each other online and uh, sometimes actually getting a chance to actually physically meet their network is sure. actually really valuable for them. So if the event is also kind of sometimes put together for them to benefit from just building the network, there doesn't always have to be a massive strong like brand agenda for that event. But I think sometimes it's just also about brands doing things that help their network connect better. And that can also just be soft touch in having people from the brand in there so they can also get part of that network. So uh, that, that was something that we, we, we heard back from influencers that they liked to actually get the chance to meet their peers because um, they don't often have an excuse to kind of all be together at the same place. Um, it depends. I mean, some some feels like tech. They they meet each other all the time, but others other topics they don't get that chance. That's the nice thing from from attending quite some events. I think I attend between thirty five to to forty events per year. So you see all the different influencers. Some you see every week. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, pretty fed up with some people, right? Yeah, still, it's, it's, it's still great, but um, that's the nice thing. Um, being at events, um, whether it's small or large events, uh, they invite most of the time um, a whole bunch of influencers and. Yeah, we have a lot of fun together, I think, yeah. Yeah, there's, I'd say that's probably more, more relevant less for the, because there are people like you who go, go to events often, but I'm, I'm talking more about the people who probably don't get to the girls' events. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's not like they're a professional influencer, so they, they normally it's quite a, a kind of a, a, an unusual thing for them. So Andy, you think you were going to say something? Well, I've been part of, a, I've been a speaker uh, at Social Media Marketing World and Content Marketing World for so many years. And I remember early, like a long time ago, Jay Bear decided to have everyone together for drinks the day before the event. All the speakers got together for a speakers only evening called the warm up. And the next year that happened, you know, he did it again at social media marketing world. So it happened in Cleveland, happened in San Diego. And then he got a sponsor for it. And I thought, this is brilliant. He just got Jay a, is brilliant. It's he brilliant. Is brilliant. And I asked him later, I'm like, wow, was that a, you, you know, what a great idea. Of course, who wouldn't want to sponsor that? You've got massive followings all in this room. He's in, and, um, you know, and then the, the events themselves took it over. And I I don't think that it was a design or that he built it or sold it. I think it was just a, kind of an organic thing. But 
it is valuable to the attendees. All the speakers, it's one of the great yeah. things about being a speaker at one of those events is that you get to go to this event and see, like there's Pat Flynn. Love that guy. Wow, I, I met Pat Flynn. You know, it was it was an honor. So I think that is um, the VIP experience. If, you, if you're creative about it, again, it's partly creativity. You've got to, if you have a little program, one influencer, okay, add value, give value, pay if necessary. But if you have a bigger program, bigger idea, you've got five influencers. Ooh, they might like to meet each other. You can you can create a you can add more value by going bigger, designing a program that allows them access to each other. They might find that interesting. And, okay. and one part, what I see quite some influencers they like to travel. So either they bring their wife and stay for a week um, at the nice places where all these events are, and um, so they take it as some kind of extended holiday go to the event but also go on holiday and i know quite some influencers who like like to do that and travel all around the world basically for free um, this way at five-star hotels and be treated uh, very very well great we've been talking about lots of different things that brands can do with influencers um but when especially payment is involved um how does the brand figure out what the right amount to pay is because uh, some influencers might have rate cards some of them might be quite new uh, to receiving payments from brands and probably won't really know what their own value is. So I'd be very interested to hear from the three of you uh, any guidance or tips about just from a brand point of view to, to, to know what the right amount is to pay an influence. Andy, so I'm dying to hear it. what you have to say okay. <laughs> because this is such a gray area, like you said, uh, we talked earlier, organic. Yeah. What is this organic? It's like ethereal. You can't get paid in ethereal. So it, please tell us. <laughs> Organic is, is non-paid. So right. it's, it's one person <laughs> advocating for another. Right. Like I wrote a review. I made an Amazon video review for your book because I love your book and because you're my friend. And uh, now when I pitch you to be on my podcast, I don't even have a podcast. I'm making this up. You say yes because you feel reciprocity. That's a, a relationship. It's organic influence marketing is basically friendship and mutual exactly. co-promotion. It's not even – it's it's – it's a, it's an informal but powerful marketing tactic. Um, paid, I'm interested in your perspective because I don't have much experience in that at all, except to say um, I was on a show with John Rampton, who's a big time columnist, and, and John was suggesting numbers that went far below what I would have expected. He said that there are influencers who will, um, for like social promotion, uh, the numbers go down to like $50 or $100, which I was surprised by. I've seen more research more recently from Analytica that shows the numbers have gone up. Uh, paid influencer marketing, I think, is getting more expensive. But I speak at an mm. event every year um, called Digital Los Angeles, or and twice a year this happens. And there's a track for micro influencers, hmm. which is very interesting. And those are the people, Andy, that you're talking about, mm -hmm. and yeah. they are happy because this isn't a full-time gig for them. They're not supporting their families. They already have some form of income and they can influence. Like a young woman, she dressed all vintage. She came to the event, all vintage. All kinds of vintage stores are dying to get their clothes mm. on her for Instagram pictures. And she doesn't have a huge following on Instagram either. But you know, little bits of publicity build into a big marketing plan. Yeah. If, if you look basically, I think to influencer marketing, it's just becoming some kind of regular routine part of, of the marketing mix right now. Um, I think so. If you are a vendor, you can spend your money on 
creating your own brochure or, or creating an industry analyst report together with, with the analyst firms or an online marketing ad and advertising, or you can work with influencer and create marketing assets. And I think each deliverable, whether it's one of these mix, should have some kind of ROI. And if you have an ROI, yeah, you often also have an investment. And if you have influencers that spend their time, yeah, they want to have some way as well to be compensated. And on the other hand, they can generate relevant high quality content in just a few minutes at an event, just take a camera and, and do an interview. Um, so the production costs are, I think, quite low compared to if you look to all the traditional type of assets and showcasing this, this video interviews with brand experts or you have panel discussions or product demos, or for example, it's easy to create them. And I think it makes it a, a good ROI and whether it's paid or not paid, if it's not paid, it also costs money. If you, they invite you and they pay five-star hotels, um, take care for for the driver, um, everything is taken care of. That takes money as well. So I think it's it's a balance for these companies as well to find out, okay, what are all the opportunities that we have and the possibilities that we have? What are the costs? And on, on the other hand, of course, what are the results that, that we're going to see? So if you look to the results, from traditional analyst marketing or from traditional your your brand only creation and you compare it with your influencer marketing and the engagement and the cost uh, from an ROI perspective, um, I think you have a good case to define what's the value. And I think in the end, there's a balance between the demand from the influencer and the value that the vendors see in influencer marketing and want to pay for it. And Onlytica has indeed this research, um, which is a nice overview um, and quite realistic overview, I think, from what's the status today. Yeah, we should share that. But I would. Uh, this all reminds me of an interview I heard with Seth Godin a long time ago, who broke it down so simply, I can't forget this. He said, there are really two kinds of currency in the world. There's money and there's attention. And if you start, and, and it's going to be a negotiation, and I think you have to be open about that and not be afraid to start a negotiation. I think Americans have this kind of taboo about haggling, like it's more common in other parts of the world. Maybe in not Europe. in Britain. <laughs> it's really worse here. It, it, it's like a, good in it though. <laughs> yeah, it's like well, some people in anywhere maybe don't love to talk about money. That's fine. If the invitation starts with, "Hey, we have this this thing. We think it might be interesting to you," as long as they're not a full time influencer, just start the conversation. And then see, and if they come back and say, you know, I can do this kind of thing, but uh, this is part of my business, so I need compensation, and my numbers start around here. Great, just have that conversation back and forth, and see. Just try to make it interesting, and understand that there's a lot of people out there who value that second type of currency a lot. There are people who really want uh, attention and are honored by the invitation. People wake up in the morning hoping to be interviewed. People love that outreach. When you contact someone, it's like a press hit for them. Would you like to be in this piece I'm working on? That's great. Of course, they'll drop everything. A lot of people will drop everything and help you make your piece better, add their expert insights, because they they like that second type of currency. They want that exposure value. But well, you uh, know, it, I, I, what you're hmm? saying, Andy, is so true. But then there are other people like me who, when somebody wants me to do something with them, I'm immediately looking up their reputation online, what their business is, who they are. And there's ROI in my mind, is that I'm gonna invest my time, I'm gonna plan something. Is it gonna be worth it for me or am I gonna be on your podcast that 50 people are gonna hear? So when we run a conference and to get people to speak at my conference, they've gotta 
stop everything and get on an airplane. That's like a lot of work. I would never ask them to do that for free. That's like right. way too much. That's a big ask. And especially like a Jay Bear, right? Or a Marsha Collier, or there's people who you have to expect. It's reasonable. Don't be offended if the person says, my rates start at 15K. That isn't weird. That's modern world. These the audience they have, and to Ronald's point, the ROI might be huge. Might be but, absolutely huge. But if I love the topic, just want to just finish this. If I love the topic and I have a passion for what you're selling or whatever it is, mm -hmm. I'm gonna say I'm willing to work within your budget. Let's talk. Exactly. It's because if be I want to do it, I'd rather do it than give it away. Ronald, sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's okay. It's okay. I so pay if it's worth it. Be, be open to paying. Get out your wallet because there are. Uh, we're past the point in influencer marketing where we should be hesitant to give that kind of value because uh, there are lots of uh, what Lee Odin calls them brand fluencers. There are people who are brands. They have their channels are bigger than broadcast channels. Their their mention might be worth more than a TV spot. They can drive huge huge value. So keep an open right. mind and. and, and right. They have teams as well, so they have teams for the editing, for the camera teams. Um, it's it's not coming for free anymore. You need to pay right. your, your people around you as well. And if you need to pay them, either you make a loss, which doesn't make sense anymore. Well, you know, it's also interesting, last mention of this, when you have an influencer, either the micro-influencer that we spoke of a minute ago, or an influencer that is outside the realm of your product or brand, and yet has a big audience, and your initial metrics may not be huge, but the point is people listen, and you're getting a new voice, not the same old people over and over again on your brand. I think that's important because if you do strike a deal for whatever you know type of currency, whichever, then make it a collaboration and let the influencer contribute to the creative because you're, what you want is not to put words in their mouth. What you want is your message through their voice, which has to be in their words. So see what their ideas are. Uh, let them be kind of the creative director for the campaign or whatever the piece is because it, it has to be authentic, which doesn't mean you're writing ad copy. You're not right. writing ad copy. You're hoping that they'll end up so inspired that they spontaneously write an article comparing your car to their car, which has evergreen durability and gets tons of views over time. So you have to, it's not a good channel for control freaks. Yeah. And if they want guidance, like I'll often ask, well, give me a white paper on this. Give me the full specs of that. Let me read it. Let me understand it. So when I speak, I'm going to translate it and people will understand. And I think that's key too. Now we've just got a couple of minutes left and uh, I want to open up a massive can of worms now uh, and bring them back to a topic that we've touched on a little bit, which is that of disclosure. Um, so there are, I think, pretty clear guidelines about paid uh, partnerships between a brand and an influencer, but we've talked about a whole range of other types of partnership. Now, this is a massive topic in its own. We could spend another half an hour talking about just this, but what are the guidelines um, and what, what are the considerations that brands and influencers need to have when we're talking about some partnership that's not a direct uh, financial exchange? I don't know who wants to kick up on that uh, beast of a question. Well, uh, one thing that I learned because I 
started doing this pretty early on for brands. And what I do is have an FTC disclaimer at the bottom of the post and say, who paid me? Because it's often not the brand that paid me. It, it's an agency. So technically, I'm working for that agency. But the FTC, FTC test is really kind of nuanced. They question whether or not an influencer expects future work. Or if you've hired the influencer, let's say, for three months at a time, a quarter, which they will often pay for that. If the relationship continues to exist, then yes, you have to disclose. But very often, I have relationships with brand, and I'm or um, I'm on a job for them here or there or six months down the road, but there's no support in the middle. But I'm interested in that brand, and I'm going to share information, but that's not covered because it's not paid. Hmm. Yeah, and I think most of the influencers have long-term relationships with the brands they are working with. Um, I think, Masha, yeah. We, we, we see each other at, at some brands uh, sometimes. So um, there, I think they, they the brands guide the influencer how they want to communicate it and how they want to disclose it. Uh, for example, you have terms like you are the, um, um, let's say, the company name influencer or you are the ambassador or the partner or the key opinion leader. So they have all kinds of terminology, which I think describes the type of relationship that you have with this, this vendor in a different capacity than just, yeah, let's say, paid or um, ad or something in, in this way where you have this often happening in the B2C market where you have paid and where you have the, the ad type of hashtags. Um, I think the B2B market is regulating themselves guided by the FTC in Europe. Mm -hmm. it's, it's less guided um, with, with this type of terminology where they indicate the relationship that an influencer has with the uh, with the vendor, whether it's let's say directly paid or indirectly paid or work for a long time with the vendor. I think that's the, the terminology that's used a lot right now and driven by each vendor themselves. So I have their, they have their own opinion and terminology that they would like to use, which um, I think the influencers adapt to that terminology each time. Hmm. One of the things, for example, though, that for some influencers is not for sale. Somehow, I don't think that Jay Bear is going to put a hashtag in his, you know, uh, Twitter handle or something like that. No, unless he was paid like bucket loads of money. I would never do that because it's, I, you can't buy me. You may buy the story. You may buy the influence, but you can't buy me. And my name is my brand. I'm learning. I didn't know this. So in B2C marketing, social posts have to have some kind of hashtag disclosure. Hashtag AD, hashtag SP, okay. hashtag spawn. Yes. But in B2B marketing, the disclosure is in this the statement somewhere of the person as being one of those labels. Mm -hmm. Brand ambassador, influencer, partner. I don't I don't use that. I still use hashtag spawn. Okay. Interesting. So um I'm not identified because I don't work for that company full-time. This is a sponsored post that you're looking at. If I worked for them, it would be different. Right. But there are people, so I, I, I host a webinar for a, a, a company I'm friends with. I'm not paid by them. Uh, they asked me to host a webinar for them and I do it and I enjoy it. I, I invite guests. I invited a guest recently who said, I'm a brand ambassador. I'm a paid brand ambassador for that company. Just so you know. Okay, great. That's fine. I'm sure they don't mind having their own brand ambassador on their own show. But is that some so at what point and where does that go that you tell that you disclose to 
the agency or the brand or the audience that you are an ambassador? Well, I think you should always disclose if you're working with the competition. Oh, of course. Um, it's That's clear good. that I've done work for Samsung. I've done work for Huawei. They know. But the point is, if you, you know, for some people, being a brand ambassador, like the word influencer, going back to the first minute of this discussion, is good. It is part of their brand. It's not part of my brand. But for someone coming up, building a reputation and building their own brand, it's very important. Yes, I am a brand ambassador. And that's very important for them to put in their bio and things. I see. Yeah, I think also because um, we work more in the B2B space here at Analytica. And the guidelines, I think, are a lot more fleshed out in, for, the, for the B2C because it, it is more of a straightforward transaction normally. But the relationship in B2B can be quite nuanced. And, it, and it's tricky as well if we start to see some of the rules that apply in B2C being transposed to B2B. For example, uh, there's rules that if you've done a paid activation with the brand in the consumer space, then and you mention that brand again later, uh, even if that second follow-on post wasn't sponsored, you have to kind of still declare the commercial relationship. But if you're in the B2B space and you're a tech influence and you always talk about 5G, and you know, like like you've you've done you've done some work with uh, Huawei, Marsha. Um, if in the future you want to talk about 5G, it's going to be hard not to mention Huawei. And then every time you talk about that brand, you have to go, oh yeah, by the way, I did some work with them. It's just there's, there are some practical implications, I think, in the B2B space where some of the rules that are used for disclosure in the B2C space just really can't work like that. But um, there are but ways of saying what, it. What the rules are then in this case, because I haven't heard of it. What the rules are in in this type of cases. They may be different in the United States. They may be different in the UK. I think what influencers need to do is to look in their country to their trade commissions and see what the advertising rules are. I think that's most important. It's your responsibility as an influencer to know what you can and cannot do. But every time I mention 5G, I am not going to mention brand names yeah. because I've learned about 5G from more than one of my business to business customers. Of course, yeah. you've talked about it here. Right. <laughs> Anything you want to disclose? <laughs> okay, well, um, no, no, yeah, no, Huawei kidding. was the one who sent me to Switzerland, but it was so worth it. <laughs> Great. Hashtag thank you. Hashtag thank you very much. I loved seeing that form. Great. Well, it has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you all very much. I'm sure that listeners will be uh, learning a lot from this and uh, I really hope we can uh, connect again another time and talk about something else in this fascinating space. So thank you all very much and uh, have a good uh, morning or afternoon or evening, <laughs> depending on where you are. Thank you all very much. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.